When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tom Bernard Show with Andy Brant Bernard, Mike Molino, and the Hackmaster, Ralph W. Basham, MD. I said the Hackmaster. We will be right back, ladies and gentlemen. I want to ask all of the, the three of you, all three of you, What's your opinion on SpaceX? And we'll come right back. Talk about that. Tom Bernard Show. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, One of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. It's been good, ladies and gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? uh, Either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw, and Bryant. Due to the billions of marketing dollars spent by Walzer Automotive on Tom Bernard Podcast, you hopefully know that Walzer sells cars. What you might not know is that they also have two full-service collision repair centers in the Twin Cities. They're fully certified by all insurance carriers and can help you navigate all the paperwork if you ever have an accident. But wait, there's more. They've also been in the paintless dent repair business for nearly 30 years and can take those pesky dings out for just a fraction of what traditional bodywork costs. Broken windshield? Walzer Collision is a fleet of full-service mobile glass repair trucks as well. Walzer are pros at body and glass repair, but don't take my word for it. They have an A-plus rating from the Better Business Bureau and a nearly perfect 4.8 Google rating. Check them out at walzercollision.com. No, it's uh, Live Zeppelin. That is Live Zeppelin? It's uh, Jimmy Page's birthday. Oh, that's right. Jimmy Page's and my dad's. Yep. My dad. Old Bob Bernard's birthday today. That's all I know. Except he's been dead for about 35 years, so never mind. He won't be celebrating. I want to ask you guys' opinion about this. A U.S. spy satellite worth billions is presumed lost after failing to reach orbit during SpaceX's most secretive launch ever, reports CNET. The satellite, codenamed Zuma, apparently failed to separate from the upper section of a SpaceX Falcon 9 rocket launched from Cape Canaveral, Florida, on Sunday. It is believed to have tumbled back into Earth's atmosphere, industry and government officials tell the Wall Street Journal. The paper notes, however, a lack of details about what occurred means that some possible alternate sequence of events may have been the culprit. Northrop Grumman, which built the uh, satellite for an unknown government agency before booking the SpaceX launch, declined to provide more information on the classified mission. Uh, 
SpaceX says reviews of the data indicate Falcon 9 performed nominally, and a spokesman for the U.S. Strategic Command, which monitors satellites, notes, there's nothing to add to the satellite catalog at this time. SpaceX previously delayed the satellite launch in mid-November in order to review tests of protective coverings for satellites on rockets, known as fairings. But a webcast of the launch noted the fairing deployed successfully, Though the rocket's first stage returned to Earth, with, uh, Earth without issue, the loss of the satellite comes at a poor time for SpaceX, which has 30 missions planned for this year and is facing competition from Boeing and Lockheed Martin's United Launch Alliance, reports the journal. Um, is Elon Musk going to take the pipe for this one? No. Uh, no. It's his. Unless he's got he's some not. insurance insurance plan for this thing and some insurance on it. Man, would that be nice yeah. if he would? But no, he's not going to take that. No. I don't really understand where who would who would insure that type of thing. No one. Yeah, I don't think you could get insurance on that type of thing. So it was his rocket that malfunctioned, right? According to that story, yeah. You know, and they're they're so they're launching these SpaceX well, vehicles. You know, they were potentially launching. they could potentially go back and see like for with the uh, Challenger, they eventually figured out what caused the explosion, and in that case. They could go after the manufacturer or whoever was supposed to inspect that part or, you know, it all depends on what failed and why. Because if it was just some freak accident, then, you know, it happens too bad. But if someone didn't do their job, then they can, uh, they can definitely be on the hook for a lot of money. So you're basically saying that you and I are on the hook for the, the money then. The U.S. taxpayer will, will pay the billions of dollars. No, these lost. are rarely government institutions that do these kind of, kinds of things. Like they, they commissioned it. They probably gave them the schematics and everything, but I really doubt they did any inspecting or building or anything. Well, it says the government, unknown government agency, are the ones that built it. Mm. Yeah, they well, had, they, they had Northrop it built. Grumman. They yeah. had it built by Northrop Grumman, yeah, which built the satellite yeah. for an unknown government agency. Exactly. The so, government never like specifically does this kind of thing. Yeah, but I mean, the fact that it was lost and it's worth billions of dollars, who ends up picking up the tab for that? I think we're um, going to take that pipe. Either SpaceX or um, whoever was supposed to do their job and didn't. And if it if it was just like a, you know, things happen kind of thing, then, yeah, it it's probably just goes right out of the government's coffers. Well, that's great. So you and I get to pay for it. Yep. Um, because if it's found that SpaceX, something malfunctioned, Elon Musk is history. I mean, that's going to be the end of Tesla, isn't it? No, I don't think so. You don't think so? I mean, when you launch... A satellite uh, failure is always something that you have to uh, plan for. Well, you know, I, I believe this story is true because I was told by somebody very close to it that the original satellite sent up for Sirius XM, what is now Sirius XM, it used to be USSB. Uh, I, it's uh, it wasn't just Sirius XM. I'm sorry, it was um, what's now Direct TV. USSB became Direct TV. And uh, that was supposed to go up on the Challenger initially, but then something got delayed and they had to send it up on, on a, different, uh, a different rocket. So if, if the USSB satellite had been on the Challenger, it would have blown up and there was no insurance on it. They would have lost over a billion dollars. Mm, satellites, well, satellites themselves aren't that expensive comparatively. It's the launch that's expensive. Yeah, really? Oh, yeah. Well, the, the fuel alone, it well, takes yeah. a lot of fuel to get something up there. Well, what did, I don't believe a, a billion dollars for a launch vehicle. It seems it's like not too surprising. I mean, huh. the amount of fuel, uh, let's see, let's see how much the fuel for would, the space shuttle costs. I would, think that, I, would think, but I would think that the fuel for the solid fuel booster, that's pretty cheap stuff. Pretty easy to work with. Um, well, let's see. For the... Space shuttle, so uh, I don't think the space shuttle really carries anything, does it? It just kind of goes up and down. Yeah. It used to go um, up and down. The fuel, well, yeah, I suppose, uh, was about $1.4 million for just the fuel. So, you know, that's not quite a billion, but it's definitely still something. Yeah, I think the satellite itself would have, co- he's, this guy told me it would have cost the Hubbard family like a billion dollars. Uh, well, right there, I suppose what they were talking about is lost business. That's probably what we're talking about. High end for a satellite launch is four hundred million. So yeah, I four hundred million dollars. That's a high end. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, this. So basically, the billions of dollars. I, I don't know how much they sold uh, USSB to Direct TV or whomever bought it first. 
Um, but I think they made about a billion and a half dollars on that deal, if I remember correctly. And now I don't even know what it would be these days. But uh, yeah, more. it was almost on the Challenger, and uh, for some reason it didn't. Uh, I don't know. It didn't. It didn't go up that day because it wasn't ready, or something happened. I don't know what the situation is. So we're not only on the hook um, for the launch vehicle, but also the satellite because we paid for the rocket to send it up. Right. No, that's exactly it. Nearly every star attending the Golden Globes wore black as a statement against sexual misconduct in Hollywood, so one red dress didn't blend in on the red carpet. Actress Blanca Blanco, her name is Blanca Blanco. That's quite the name. And it's not Bianca, it's Blanca Blanco. Ditched the black dress code for a red cutout dress and soon saw heat on social media. Others said shaming her for her color choice is part of the problem. Sunday night's black-clad demonstration was promoted by the recently formed Time's Up, an initiative of hundreds of women in the entertainment industry, including Meryl Streep and Oprah Winfrey, who banded together to advocate for gender parity in executive ranks. Yeah, I still, I can't believe that it's 2018 and women make different amounts of money than men do. They don't. Well, they say they do. Well, they're wrong. Oh, I've but, gone through the numbers myself many times. Oh, have you? Well, that one woman at ESPN was making a third of what the other, what the guy was making. Well, but did she do the same job? Did she work the same amount? Did she have the same qualifications? Oh, that, that I don't no know. one ever takes any of that into account. They just look at two semi-similar jobs and determine that it must be men are evil. All right, Doc, you went to medical school. Figure this one out for me. Once again, we talked about it. Why do people want to be so mean to one, one another? But why do people want to see people fail so badly? What is that? People yeah, what, love it when you lose. They do. They love dirty laundry. Dun, dun. Okay. Kick hard. Andy out of the studio. <laughs> Get him out. Now, why, why do people wish other people harm the way they do? I, I, not only you lost your job, you did this, yeah, but I actually want to see you get hurt. It's schadenfreude. So it's just enjoying other people's misery. Yeah, yeah I think that's just really all it is. is that's terrible. There's just like some psychological thing where people see others fail and that they like that. There's no attraction there for me. I don't wish to see other people in agony. I don't wish to see them harmed physically or mentally. I, I just, look, if I wanted to hurt you, I'd hurt you myself. But it's a universe, right? universal kind of a thing uh, because it's that's what sells. People being hurt, be people failing, people having uh, problems, that's what sells on the news. That's the hysteria of the news when there's bad weather. Good weather. I think it makes people feel better about, about their own failures. Huh, maybe. Well, that is probably true. They, you know, they... They wanted to do that thing that, like, you know, that when someone, um, a football player, does a bad job, um, they wanted to be a football player, but they couldn't cut it for some reason, and now they're they're happy when they see others fail at it because they failed at it first. Well, yeah, I, you know, I think you're absolutely right about that. If I failed at it, then no one should succeed at exactly. it. Exactly. Which is insane. Because for some reason we have an attitude now that... Uh, the only reason anyone would fail at anything is if some outside source screwed them over. Oh, really? So it wasn't my fault. Yeah, exactly. Nothing's ever my fault. No failure is ever anyone's fault unless uh, unless that person is an acceptable target to hate. We have a uh, caller. Mainly rich people. I just won't. Oh, we do have a caller. Yes. Who's yeah. Caller? We have Wendy. Is it me? Wendy, Wendy, Wendy. Hello, hello, hello. How are you? Wonderful. How are you today? I'd be happy if this weather would kind of even out a little. This up and down stuff is for the birds. Well, yeah, but it got nice today. Yeah, but we're going to have a snowstorm tomorrow night into Thursday. And then well, back there to is the that. Snowstorms are nice as long as it's, as long you're, as it's not negative 20. You know what? You're in Florida. I don't even want to hear this. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, listen to you. Well, it's raining like mad, I will tell you that. It's been raining for two weeks, basically. We got a bit of rain. Oh. A um, bit of rain. So I was, I was calling in about what uh, Andy was talking about with, you know, there there is no gender disparity in, you know, wages. Mm-hmm. Yeah, speaking of someone in the working world, in the marketplace, that is incorrect. It's like So, I so don't, women I don't, don't get paid as much as men? No. Depends on the job, but... Um, there's ways around it that can get around the publishing, you know, the published numbers. So looking at the published really? numbers isn't really going to tell you anything. Why do they think they can still pay women less than men? Because people are jerks. Because <laughs> so it, that's it, the full answer? Well, it, it depends on the people. I mean, in the area that I 
work in, it's just expected that it, it was a traditionally male area, and they assume women don't know anything about it. Well, surprise, oh. my family owned a company like this, growing, you know, owned a trucking company growing up. I know a lot mm-hmm. about the logistics business, and it always seems but, to surprise some people when I do. Wouldn't they want you to know as much as you possibly could about the trucking business? You'd think so. You'd really think so. But some people are strange. They just assume that you don't, so they can treat you differently and pay you differently. How do you now? How, Wendy? Since you know a lot about this, how do you discern what jobs are equal, though? I mean, how how do you how do you come up with that uh, equation? Well, see, that's the trick because sometimes what happens is two jobs can be just they can be equal but just slightly unequal enough that they can justify that. You know what I mean? And how, and how much less would someone be paid when they do justify that? Depends on the position. I mean, I mean you think it's, it's like half? Some people it could be. Some cases it could be. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a tough road to hoe there. Wait, make it half what the other person's making. Yeah, but I'm smart enough that uh, usually I can figure it out, and it's like, hey, <laughs> you know, I mean, any company that is ethical and uh you know does their stuff correctly i mean you're not going to see as much of an issue with that i mean there's there's a lot of companies mine included that are committed to uh, equalization and you know leveling Mm -hmm. the field but i know someone who used to work in a company that you know her she was literally 35 percent lower than a a guy that was doing the same job as she was exactly it all depends on what so it was the exact same job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I see. I just don't understand how they can get away with that. I, but that, by the same token, there are people who perceive that they do the same job that you do, and they should oh, be yeah. paid as much as you get paid, and it's not even close. Absolutely. So it, I guess it does. It could go both ways, right? Absolutely. I mean, it's a slippery slope. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, Joe from Louisville just said, hey, I guess I shouldn't mention to Wendy that it's going to be in the mid-60s in Louisville tomorrow. Joe, suck it. Well, it's like 45 in Minnesota <laughs> right now, which is super warm for it January. Is. Yeah, it's very nice but, in Minnesota uh, right now. On Friday, it is going to be like below zero again. Yes, it's going to drop. Oh, is it really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it not good. It. But I mean, sooner, All right, or later, well, sooner or later, spring has to come, right? Well, not on January 9th. <laughs> oh, no, we got a while. Absolutely. Well, I just thought I'd pop in and say hi. I hope you're enjoying Florida. Well, thank you very much, and thanks for calling. I, yeah, I, I just I need to learn more about this. I don't know enough about this. Thanks, Wendy. We'll be right back in just a couple of seconds. Tom Bernard Show. I'm Brad Huckle, president of North American Banking Company. Ask one of our bankers what they love about business banking. They always say the relationship with a client. Case in point, True North Oral Surgery and Implants is a longtime customer with a growing practice. Their banker, Julie Marshall, knows the ins and outs of what they do. So when they need working capital, an equipment loan, or funds for expansion, they call Julie. Are you looking for a banker you can count on? Give us a call. This is Tom. Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company? A better banking experience. Member FDIC, an equal housing lender. Hi, this is Tom. If you spend any time at the lake, you can relate to hanging out on the dock with family and friends. Let Flow enhance your experience with their rock-solid dock systems. You see, Flow's passion to invent a better way to make life easier comes through in every product they make. Flow boat lifts are a breeze to level using a cordless drill with their patented Easy Level system. Flow is about making things easy, meaning you have more time to enjoy being at the lake. Isn't that why you go there in the first place? See for yourself why they say they've been perfecting leisure time since 1983. Visit Flo at the Minneapolis Boat Show at the Convention Center January 11th through the 14th. Say you heard this ad on KQ and received $50 off your purchase. Stop by Friday night between 6 and 7 to meet professional hockey star Ryan Suter, a proud owner and spokesperson for Flo Dock and Lift Systems. Or visit their website at floeintl.com. Flo Docks and Lifts, a better way. Song. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. What made you play this? I'm just thinking about uh, equal pay. Yeah, show some respect. That's true. 
I mean, the, the only problem I can see, the only flaw in that whole, the fly in the ointment, as they used to say, is if my perception that I do the same thing you do is inaccurate, then what do you do? Mm-hmm. There should be, like, a job that's... What the... My headphones just, like, made a horrible sound. I did hear Snapping that. noise. What the I hell just happened? That. Well, anyway... Uh, there should be like a job that's basically like an appraiser that appraises how much a job is worth relative to other jobs. Because people can't appraise their own jobs. They're always going to think they deserve more than they have. And they're always going to think that their coworkers deserve less than they have. So there should be a neutral third party that is uh, capable of saying that with a totally blind, they don't know who's doing the job. They should say, uh, this job is worth this much, this job is worth this much, and then sort it out from there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what they're going to have to do in order to get this thing to be equal and fair is do job descriptions on every single job at your company, mm-hmm. and this is how much that job is worth. Exactly. And whether you're a man or a woman, this is how much that job is worth. Yeah, you'll never be able to trust anyone involved no. to tell you how much the job is actually worth. Even the bosses don't really know how much the job is worth. Because they're not, they're not really, yeah. even if they're in charge of salary, they're not uh, specifically trained to know exactly uh, what's going on in that job and why it should be worth this and so forth. Which is why um, negotiation is such a huge thing in salary, even though it shouldn't be. Yeah. If you go to your boss and say, hey, give me more money, you have a greater chance of getting more money than if you never do that. Which is stupid, but it's true. Now, the other problem you're going to have here, and I, I certainly want to hear from Ralph and, and Mike on this as well. The other, the other problem, let's say we do have equal jobs, that I do this job and you do this job. We have the exact same job. It's been dictated this job is worth, let's say, $50,000 a year, right? But if I can do it much faster than you and much better than you, how do I then break that out, Right. That's right. Or let's say you do it. You do the job much better than I do. You get the job done much more quickly than I do. Why should I be paid as much as you are? Yeah, like who's ever going to admit that someone else does their job better than they do? Right. Yeah, that's never going to happen. And that's why people have a lot of confirmation bias in terms of, you know, I don't make as much as I should. Or what about the productivity piece of it? That's the other mm-hmm. aspect that you know that's very important. If you look uh, in medicine, for instance, you know everybody's paid the same. Everybody's paid the same. So if you're doing uh, insurance paid medicine, you know, if I cut something mm-hmm. out of somebody and a woman cuts something out of somebody, it's the same, you know, the same CPT codes and everything, you get paid the same. But if the guy doesn't work as much as the woman, the woman's going to get paid more. And if the woman doesn't work as much as the guy, uh, she's not going to get paid as much. So it's it, that is absolutely productivity-based. And when you do something like that, well, then it's blind to sex. It just has to do with just productivity. And that's how it should be. Yeah, yeah. it definitely should. So, Negotiates like salary negotiations and stuff. It's such a like old way of thinking. Because why should your livelihood depend on how uh, charismatic and good at glad handing you are? Yeah, I say it's dumb. Well, that is a problem. If you're really good at kissing butt and mm-hmm. glad handing and all that stuff, that shouldn't enter into it. This is going to be a tough equation to come up with for jobs all across America. Well, look at Hollywood. Or uh, every one of those super duper high ups. That's making millions and millions of dollars. They've all got their circle of friends, and they all, you know, look out for each other. And it's yeah. all, but yeah, that's true. It's all just, yeah, a big old hug fest up there. Or uh, if, if you know that your boss is a man who's gay, and uh, you know, you're gay, good-looking guy, mm-hmm. and you're wearing uh, the nice, uh, good-looking, mm-hmm. tight clothes around him all the time, and uh, saying, "Hey, you know, uh, you know, I'm available for a date once in a while," you know. When you, when you see that, you, that's another aspect of it. There, there's no reason why that should be rewarded, but it is. Yeah, I guess it's really down to right. you shouldn't uh, – people in general can't be trusted to make rational decisions, so we're going to need unbiased third parties to make those decisions for them because otherwise they're going to make the wrong ones. Well, the problem you have there is that if we do that, the government's going to say, well, we'll be that third party, that's and true. then they we're will. screwed. Yeah, then they'll say, uh, yeah, like post office workers should make more than uh, neurosurgeons. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 this market changed quite a bit. You know, a guy like uh, Dave Moore, one of the greatest news anchors I, I ever saw, he was a news anchor up until the late 80s in the Twin Cities. And he's one of the best I ever saw. He was very, very good at his job. But I don't believe he ever made more than $100,000 a year. 
where people in other markets of the same, you know, near the same size, a little bigger, a little smaller, were making more money than he was. It's just bizarre. And then that all changed uh, right around 1990 when a couple of different people in the market got paid uh, like 15 times more than he did, and that reset the standard. But the people that broke through apparently deserve to be paid that much. So how do you decide that? There are so many things, so many parts of the equation you have to put together to get it done. I don't know. Can you even can you even get it done? You can if business wasn't so notoriously uh, slow to adapt. Well, that's true. But to your point, Andy, about having some sort of an audit, some sort of a way to truly value a, a job, if that was being done, if, if that was possible, truly possible, then I think the CPA firms would offer that as a service. And I, I don't know. They may. But I don't know that they do. I think it's a pretty complex process based on a thousand different things and also what is perceived potential in an individual. So if an on-air talent gets paid more than someone who's established, well, they the the station says thinks that they may overtake the person that's getting that's much more popular. You know, I, radio mm-hmm. in particular that's performance based. You have ratings or don't. There, there you go. That's yeah, it. that's exactly right. Radio, television, uh, even newspapers. I mean, newspaper sales are, and of course, a lot of it is on the internet now. How many people buy a subscription to read your column, and they can tell the most read stories. Obviously, that's very easy to do on the internet. So if your stories are the the most read stories on their website, you should be paid more. But I never knew this, speaking of that, by the way, how unfair the world was just, you know, 25 years ago, that newspapers would take their best writers and syndicate their columns, but the writers didn't get paid any money for it. The newspaper did, but you didn't. Like, what? So you're taking my work and you're selling it and you're making money, but I get none of the money. How did that ever happen? Is that what happened to Charles Schultz? Mm, I don't know. I don't know how that whole cartoon thing works. That I don't know. Um, so, Mike and Ralph, how many how many times have you uh, read uh, Fire and Fury now? You've gone through it for like the third time? <laughs> yeah, I'm on my second read. You're on your second read of it, uh, Ralph? How about you? Oh, geez, I, somehow I, it hasn't really made it to my doorstep as yet. You have yet to pick it up there, Ralph? Come on. You know, I ordered through the Amazons, and, uh, you know, maybe they probably just can't keep up. So I I think that's what the (laughs) problem is. Yeah, that's probably what it is. Michael Wolf says he's surprised by the success of his book, Fire and Fury, alleging chaos in the Trump White House and citing aides questioning the president's mental state because, well, I thought we knew this. Appearing on The Late Show, and by the way, I'm reading this off Newser, which is a very left-leaning website, so it's not like I'm trying to pick and choose here. I'm just reading it off whatever... news delivery service that offers it. Appearing on The Late Show on Monday night, Wolf uh, warned host Stephen Colbert that Trump was probably watching. A contact told Wolf the president asked for his media schedule for the day. Wolf, who is a co-founder of Newser. Oh, he's one of the co-founders. This is the site I'm reading is Newser. So Wolf is a co-founder of this very site. Uh, Wolf, who is a co-founder of Newser, then admitted there's nothing really too new in this book. Since the administration's emphasis on the press has prompted leaks, nonetheless, Colbert said the uh, tell-all upset him. As a citizen, I don't want any of it to be true, he said. You should believe all of it, Wolf responded, per the week. That's the alarming thing, that this is all true. Fellow journalists, however, are in doubt, having uncovered errors in Wolf's reporting. Now, this is on his own website there's, or news delivery service that they're saying this. They also accuse him of being excessive, uh, him of excessive dramatization, per Newsweek. Asked to present his recordings of interviews from the book, Wolf declined, telling Colbert, I'm in the writing business. He went on to explain that Trump, the Trump White House is full of people lying in their own particular way, so he used his judgment to decide what versions of stories to include. He suggested readers should decide if the book's narrative lines up with what's already known about the Trump White House. But how could you possibly know anything about the Trump White House if that's what you're relying on? That makes no sense. Wouldn't you agree? All supposition, it sounds like. This whole book is BS. And and again, ladies and gentlemen, I am on Michael Wolf's own news delivery service. It's called Newser. He was a co-founder. And they're going after him on his own website. So I'm not trying to, you know say that Trump's a great guy or, or whatever, that Michael Wolf. You could tell Michael Wolf, though, and I'll say this again, you could tell that this guy was bullied in school just by the way he comports himself. 
You can just tell he, he was bullied in school, which I certainly am not condoning. But but people now, there is a big payback right now in life. If anyone was mean to you, the whole world has to pay for it, which I don't agree. Uh, the person who did it to you absolutely should pay for it, but not the whole world. Um, in any case, he used his judgment to decide what versions of stories to include. He suggested readers should decide if the book's narrative lines up with what's already known about the Trump White House. At the end of the interview, Colbert asked the author for something administrative officials do well. Uh, administration officials do well, noting people got to go to sleep after this. Wolf's response, they don't do anything well. Nothing. So this is all his own attitude and what he thinks was the truth. Yeah, what his, he thinks happened. His own opinion. It's his own opinion about what happened. Yeah. DJ, he says so much has said that. Wow. And several people are, are accusing him of writing the book just to make money. No. No. I, I, no, it's hard to believe. Look, and, and I don't want to make it look like I'm, I'm taking a position here on this. I just don't think... I, I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to do in my life, and, and I, I think other people are as well. I'm trying to figure out why, the, first of all, I understand why the pharmaceutical companies want us to hate each other because we're going to need more medication if we do. I, I just don't understand why we have gotten to the point, I will do anything I can to harm you, whether it's true or not. What is that? Because that's not, you know, that has to be Schadenfreude. That, ha- that had, has to be a situation where I, I want to see you in misery. Um, and, and the only reason I keep bringing Trump into this because he's the target of all of it now. So if it were, you know, Oprah Winfrey four years from now and they were going after her this way, I'd say the same thing. I mean, they've gotten to the point now where when he was singing the national anthem, they were trying to read his lips to see if he knew the words. You have nothing better to do than that. Seriously? That's your whole life right there, huh? You're trying to figure out if he knows the words to the national anthem. It's interesting really. that there's such a uh, an absolute obsession uh, with uh, these two books that have come out. And virtually nothing was said about the book Shattered. About and Hillary. explain what Shattered is all about. Sh- Shattered is this, oh, Hillary's? Hillary Clinton's book where the, the two liberal, uh, they wrote two books. Uh, when she was Secretary of State, they had access to her mm-hmm. and, or, or staff, and they wrote a book that says she was just one of the best statesmen in the whole world and truly did a wonderful mm-hmm. job. They did a second; they, they were given access again during her presidential campaign, and came out with a book that was 180 degrees that said that she was not a good person, a horrible individual, and did not treat people well, and just just tore her a new one. So, really, yeah, but no one talked about that. No one wanted to talk about that because that doesn't fit the narrative. So, the, it, it, so I, it has I, to fit what I believe. Oh, absolutely. It has to fit what I believe or I will ignore it. Uh, oh, I'm going to choose the story, the version of the story that fits my narrative. That's what he said. That's amazing. I mean, that is absolutely amazing that people would do that. And you're taught to think that way. Is it, is it, does our, our college system promote that? That I'm going to teach you how to think and what to believe and you will believe it. Is that what we do in our colleges? I guess they try to coerce yes. people into that through grades. You know, I, I guess it's terrible. I didn't see, I didn't see a lot of that at Arizona State University. Right. I, I'm sure there was mm-hmm. some of it, but I just sort of glossed over it. I said, "We know." I, I did. did I come from it. such. I come. I came from such a strong uh, blue collar conservative background that it never really affected me. Yeah, I understand. We'll be back in a couple of minutes, ladies and gentlemen. Stephanie Arnold will join us promoting the book 37 Seconds. Stephanie Arnold is the mom that predicted her own death and then survived to talk about it. And she's next, Tom Bernard Show. Just like all of you, I had been hearing about my pillow and was skeptical that it was as great as everyone said it was. Well, I received my first my pillow and I love it. Look, my, my head stays level. You know, it's not too high, not too low. My neck feels much better because of it. Mike Lindell, the inventor of MyPillow, has a very special offer for Tom Bernard Show listeners. MyPillow is offering a buy one MyPillow, get another one absolutely free. Don't delay. This offer will end on January 31st. If you're looking for a great night's sleep, now is the perfect time to get your first MyPillow. If you already know how great the MyPillow is, why not give them to everyone you know? Go to MyPillow.com, but make sure you use the promo code TOM. Again, please use promo code TOM. That's promo code TOM, MyPillow.com. Tom Bernard here. Minneapolis is gearing up for the biggest football event of the year. And you've probably heard the myth that you should wait until after the big game to sell your home. What? If you're thinking about selling, now is the time. Why? 
because buyers are hungry and most sellers aren't even in the game. But the real key is fielding the right team. And that's my buddy Chris Lindahl's team with REMAX Results. REMAX is America's number one real estate franchise. And the Chris Lindahl team is America's number one REMAX Results team. Why? Because they've got the right game plan and the best players at the skill positions. They know how to market your home. They know how to use social media. And they know how to win. On average, the Chris Lindahl team sells a home every nine hours for over the MLS average. Don't wait until after the big game to get a big win on selling your home. Call the Chris Lindahl team at 763-401-SOLD and the first two callers will get a free staging package. This is a huge value and it's only going to the first two KQRS callers from this ad. That's 763-401-SOLD. Get a free staging package and win big on selling your home before the big game. Tom Bernard Show, ladies and gentlemen, our special guest, Stephanie Arnold. The book is called 37 Seconds. Stephanie Arnold is the mom that predicted her own death and then survived to talk about it. Pregnant with her second child, Stephanie Arnold began receiving mysterious but strong premonitions that she would die during the delivery. I'm going to stop right there, Stephanie. What was this all about? Hi, Tom. Um, thank you for having Hello, me. Hello, Stephanie. Uh, so I, I've had a baby before. I've had a C-section before. So it wasn't the fear of the unknown. I was pregnant with my second child. And around the 20-week ultrasound, I had a positive uh, result of a placenta previa, which is basically a 1 in 200 risk where the placenta grows on top of the cervix. Um, which would ultimately, if it never moved, you'd probably have a C-section. But that wasn't what I was afraid of. There was something really uncomfortable and a sinking feeling. And I had told my husband, who's a Ph.D. economist from the University of Chicago, very, uh, like a statistician, analytical, very focused, um, he is, he's saying, let's not jump to conclusions. And I said, got a really bad feeling about this um and of course you go home and you google things and i start realizing that you know placenta previa can turn into something a little bit more dangerous which the placenta marries itself to the uterus which is called a placenta accreta something can kardashian had mm-hmm. and then from mm-hmm. that you can hemorrhage and from that it caused maternal and baby mortality And at that moment, I looked at my husband and something hit me, like the hair on the back of my neck stood up and I said, this is going to happen to me. The only difference is, is that the baby's going to survive. And um, at that moment, I told everybody. I went from doctor to doctor. I said, I'm going to have these organs combined. You're going to need to give me a hysterectomy. I'm going to hemorrhage. These visions are not stopping. The baby's going to be fine and I'm going to be dead on the operating table. How did you? Uh, how did you think this? Uh, wh- or why? Or and how? That's the best way to answer. Why and okay. how did this happen? So the only thing I can kind of equate it to for anybody listening is, you have that sinking feeling. You're walking down a street you always walk down, and your gut tells you, you know what? Today something feels off. I'm not going to walk down that street today. You might not ever find mm-hmm. out what was happening on that street, but something was sinking in your gut telling you not to walk down that street today. That's exactly what I was having. The only difference was is I could see everything that was going to happen three months before it happened. And, you know, I, I would have a vision of hemorrhaging two months before I delivered, and I'd viscerally feel it having already happened in my body, and I'd race to the emergency room, and the, and the doctors are like, are you okay? And I'm like, no, I, I'm hemorrhaging. And the doctor's like, Mrs. Arnold, are you okay? And I'm like, no, obviously I'm bleeding out. And they're like, no, you're quite fine, but maybe you need a little rest. And um, and so it got my husband worried. I, at one point I spoke to a friend of ours and I said, if I'm going to need a hysterectomy in the middle of an operation of delivering a baby, who does that procedure? And they're like, Stephanie, you're, what you're afraid of happening is a half of a half of a half percent chance of happening. I said, well, entertain me. And he said, a gynecological oncologist is your best bet. So so try to make an appointment with the head of Gynonc at Northwestern Memorial Hospital when you don't have reproductive organ cancer and you are just having a vision that you're going to need a hysterectomy. Um, It was not easy. 
And at the end of the day, he looks at me and he says, Mrs. Arnold, have you been on the Internet? And I said, yes, I have. This is going to happen. Oh, God. And, and he's like, all right, well, let's get an MRI. If the MRI is positive for this accreta, then I'll schedule myself during your mandatory C-section, and then I'll, I'll do the hysterectomy there. And they, the MRI ended up being negative. And so everybody thought, you know, crazy hormonal pregnant woman, including my husband. Right. And, and right. in their defense, all my test results were negative. And at one point, my doctor said, why don't you have a consultation with anesthesia? I'm telling you, it was relentless. It didn't let up. So it was like seeing a freight train about to hit me and everybody else saw a field of flowers. Nobody could see what I could see. So anesthesia said, um, you know, this is what will happen when you recover. And I said, entertain me. If this, this, and this happens, where, what happens? And she was very unsettled with that phone consult. And, um, and she ended up flagging my file and incorporating extra blood in a crash cart in the operating room. So fast forward a few weeks later, I'm realizing nobody's listening to me. Completely unbeknownst to me that she flagged my file. Um, I write goodbye letters. I send out goodbye letters. I post on Facebook if anybody has my blood type. I'm O negative, which is a rare blood. Um, you know, please tell me, help me, what have you. And I, I told everybody. So at the end of the day, um, 37 weeks to the day, 36 weeks to the day, I was bleeding on the kitchen floor and drove myself to the hospital. Not you the drove yourself. Move. Where was your husband? So my husband was in New York at the time, and I was in Chicago. Oh. And oh, you know, okay. I I have a. 18-month-old, two-year-old daughter at the time, and a friend of ours was with us, and I get them in the car, and my friend's like, I'll drive. I said, um, look, I've had many premonitions, but dying in a car wasn't one of them, so get over. Um, so, and <laughs> I, get, I get to the hospital. I, you know, they triage me. I'm, you know, texting to my husband on Skype chat while he's on the plane heading back, and they're like, you know, it's under an emergent situation. Let's go ahead and take the baby while every, everybody is quiet in the OR. And I kissed my baby a million times. Goodbye, my daughter. Goodbye. And as I'm being wheeled down to the operating room, I break down crying because I know this is the last time I'm going to see them. And I yeah. tell my my I tell my OB again, I'm like, Julie, there's something wrong. You need to put me under general anesthesia. And she's like, I, you know, I, I'm sure you're just nervous. Jonathan's not here. We're going to take very good care of you. And I was done. You know, I've spoken, you know, in front of anesthesiologists before. And they said, you know, if you were my patient, I wouldn't have done the procedure. And I said, yes, but I was having a baby. This was happening no matter what. And they're like, mm -hmm. yeah, good point. Good point. So, um, so I go into the OR. They... They're getting ready. They operate. They take the baby, healthy, happy baby, and seconds later, I flatline on the operating table. You died? I died. I was clinically dead for 37 <sighs> seconds. And the only oh, reason God. I survived is because they, that woman flagged my file and incorporated the extra blood in a crash cart. I had a very rare 1 in 40,000 risk of an amniotic fluid embolism which is basically when amniotic fluid gets into the um, mother's bloodstream. And if you happen to be allergic to it, your body goes into somewhat of an anaphylactic shock. And in most cases, women don't make it. And the only reason I was able to sustain life was because they had the crash cart and the blood available. Your body normally has 20 units of blood. I was given 60 units of blood and blood product to save my life. So you, it did happen exactly what you thought was going to happen. I mean, you didn't, uh, it maybe did. not exactly what you thought so was here, going to happen. So here, I had six very detailed premonitions. The first was, you know, they were going to be putting me under general anesthesia, which they had to after they resuscitated me and they put, they intubated me, they put me under general. I said that my placenta previa was going to turn into an accreta. Well, it turns out after I had my cardiac arrest, lung shutdown, I had kidney failure, I, it was complete Armageddon, and I went into full DIC, which is your body's inability to clot blood, I went into full hemorrhage. Um, then hours later, I was put into a medically induced coma. The, uh, the, gynoc, the gynecological oncologist I had met with two and a half months before um, was called in seven hours later to perform the hysterectomy because I was still hemorrhaging. He performs the hysterectomy. He does the biopsy on the uterus, and they show that an accreta had started to form. However, it was microscopic and wasn't detectable on the MRI. My God. Why do you think this happened to you? <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I ask myself this question a lot. One, one of the, the things, aside from, you know, I, I think I don't take it for granted I, that, um, that I have a second chance at life and that I'm with my family. Mm-hmm. But I don't say, oh, I was chosen to X, Y, Z, because it would be very disrespectful to the other women who have lost their lives to what I had. Sure. What sure. I believe is that I spent almost 30 years in television producing and telling other people's stories. And I think when this happened, um, all of my friends who now became heads of network and, and running television shows and what have you were like, I want you on my show. Um, there was a message to come out that was a very fast-paced way to do it, to explain to people as, patient, as a patient advocate now and also as an advocate for physicians that they need to listen if they sense something, they need to say something. And because my story is so well documented with so much science behind it, that all these stories that you hear about near-death experiences that people kind of chalk up and say, well, you know, that can't be real or what have you, I, I'm here in part to validate that a lot of it is true and can be extremely well documented if people look a little deeper. Uh, I should mention, by the way, recently featured on the Today Show with Megyn Kelly. Her book, 37 Seconds, is a national bestseller, number one Amazon bestseller, library journal bestseller, six awards, as a matter of fact. Stephanie Arnold, as she pointed out, was a TV producer. So it, it's still I'm still trying to figure out <laughs> what, what triggered the whole thing. The very, so the very first yeah. premonition you had, what, yeah. what do you think triggered that? You know, when the, what I talk about is that I believe that the spirit, at, the spirit and the body are connected, right? And then you can say at some point, if people are going to have a heart attack, maybe, and it's very well documented that people have that foreboding feeling prior to it happening. And, you know, same thing can be said about an embolus or what have you. But no medical nor scientist, nor clinician can tell me how it is I saw everything in great detail months before it happened. So I've been right, on my own journey. Right. I've been on my own journey. And so ultimately what was revealed to me is that the spirit is working on this other dimension. And the things I see and continue to see, because by the way, the premonitions keep happening. It's just almost like if Oz, the curtain has been pulled back on Oz and what's always been there is able to be seen. So you think you've always been able to, you've always, have you always, as a little child, did you have premonitions? I've had intuitive thoughts as a child, but when, oh, okay. when, I, yeah. when I see something as a 10-year-old and someone dies a few days later, which, which that person is perfectly healthy, it scares that 10-year-old to think that you are willing it to happen. And so at some point, you shut it down and say, I'm scared of this. I don't want to see this. I don't want to know from it. And so the story mm-hmm. has been really affecting the ground that I've stood on because you compartmentalize that for most of your life and you get to a point now where you can't discount it because it saved your life that I've, I've honestly been on more of a search with physicists and astrophysicists and theoretical physicists just to try and understand quantum physics and entanglement and all of it to just give me sense of it. But when they just give me theories... And MDs say, I can't give you a scientific explanation. I think you need to go spiritual on this. It's been a very difficult journey to get to this point. My husband, the the economist, will sit there and say, I've just accepted it as fact because I can't. I don't even know who to ask anymore. You know, I, I my first take on this whole thing is, and I mean this as a, a, a high compliment because it sounds like an insult, but it's not at all because my mother was one of these. I have two sisters, my wife, my daughter. The fact that you're kind of like a tough broad, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You just mm-hmm. wouldn't. I love that. You, and I, I do mean that as a high compliment. I you're just like, no, no, you're, you're not listening to me. I'm right. going to have a problem here. You need to listen to me. I love that attitude. Thank you. Now, I've had plenty of women come up to me and say, you know, after the third and fourth doctor thought you were, you know, hormonal or whatever, I would have shut up. And I said, right. then you would have stayed, then right. you stayed dead. Yeah. Yeah, they, they would have been dead, but you just, you yeah. were convinced that you weren't off your rocker, which turns mm-hmm. out you weren't. But I, I just, yeah. it, very admirable. It's a great story. Like I said, I'm not surprised. Mm-hmm. It's a national bestseller and Amazon Library Journal bestseller. It's magnificent. It's a great and a very well-told story, by the way. 
Thank you so much, Tom. But, you know, it's, it, it goes beyond this. I think when, when HarperCollins bought the rights, they, they were definitely, um, I was in therapy at the time, like doing regression therapy and other therapies. And, and part of the story was to try and find an answer because therapists were telling me, let's help you get out of the trauma. And I said, yeah, but I need to know where these premonitions come from. And they said, well, let's not worry about that right now. And I said, you know, I have a hard time with that because what happens if they happen again? Um, I want to be a mom again. I want to be a wife. I want to get back to quote unquote normal. And um, mm-hmm. so I ended up doing regression therapy and under hypnosis. I was on I was on Steve Harvey at one point, and Steve Harvey says, um, "So did you see the light?" And I said, "You know, I don't know, man. They gave me a lot of drugs. I'm like, I, I don't remember." Right? <laughs> so That's not part of it, yeah. right? But I wasn't I wasn't afraid to say there wasn't. A light. I just want, if there was a way to find out, I wanted to understand it. And so under hypnosis, which if you go to the website, you can see a little clip of it. Um, it's quite graphic, but but I videotaped my therapy. Call me type A. I didn't want anyone to hypnotize me and me running around naked when they said the word dog. But um, right. I said, you know, under hypnosis, um, they take you back to those moments of trauma to give you a different perspective on what happens. And maybe you'll discover the truth. And I said, oh, okay, I wasn't you know, optimistic. I've never been hypnotized. But under hypnosis, you see me go through a seizure and go through this kind of violent attack of what's happening to my body. And then I go on to explain what's happening around me, what I see, where my doctors were standing, who hit the button for the code, which nurse jumped on my chest to give me CPR, what was happening down the hall, where the nurse's break station was, like all these little details um, and what was being revealed to me. And, um, you know, my husband afterwards says, you know, how do you know that's not a recalled episode of Grey's Anatomy on your head? And, oh, there you know, you go. It, it's a fair point, right? You know, I, after I was done cursing at him and calling him a lot of names, um, so, <laughs> yeah. I said, so I said, you know, it's a fair point. And I go to my therapist and I say, how do you know what I'm saying is real? And she says, you know, sometimes the only validation we get is that the patient feels better. I said, you know what? That's not good enough for me. I have witnesses. So I took the Ste- tapes back. Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I just wanted to point out that people oh. can reach out to you at stephaniearnold.net, correct? Yes, yes, yes. Um, stephaniearnold.net. So, yes. And um, so I took the tapes back to the doctors who were present and they had tears in their eyes and they said, how do you know any of this? This isn't any of your medical files. You wouldn't, you wouldn't know where we were standing. And it's one thing as the brain is shutting down or when you have a seizure or what have you that you could hear things, but you most certainly couldn't see. And so um, with all of that information, I had enough information to realize that my quest or my search to understand whether this was science or spirit or a little bit of both um, gave me the conclusion I needed. And so now I'm on this journey to continue to spread the messages and listen to people's most outrageous stories and experiences and validating them and their own premonitions and to take them seriously. The book is called 37 Seconds. It is available everywhere. Again, stephaniearnold.net. Stephanie, thank you so much. Phenomenal story. Thank you so much. And good for you that you're surrounded by women like this or really bad for you. But, you know, my husband always says... My husband always says, well, now that you see everything, we don't really have to talk, do you? Because you already know what I'm going to (laughs) say. Well, there you go. (laughs) Stephanie, thank you. Thank you very much. Have a great day. You as well. We will talk to you tomorrow. Tom Bernard Show. (laughs) 